KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah. Today is Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Pashat Kitavo. This is Ezra Beck. And we have today the Erev Shabbat program. It's going to be a little bit shorter today than usual. Raftavori uh, we will be on with his regular uh, discussion, weekly discussion of Agadol for this week. The other half of the Erev Shabbat program will be shortened. Uh, I have an excuse. It's not actually that good an excuse, but I want to tell, tell you anyhow. Uh, this Shabbat, I'm going away for Shabbat to celebrate the Shalom Zachar of my first male grandson, my first grandson, who was born last Sunday. The bit is this coming Sunday. My son Moshe, my daughter-in-law Hadas, had a Baruch Hashem, thank God, a beautiful baby boy, nameless in the meantime. And uh, But it's my first grandson and I've been a little bit busy. Is it true that I've been that dizzy that I couldn't prepare this program? Well, I'm claiming that it is. And therefore, I will be shortening uh, this program. And I'm taking the advantage now of expressing publicly, sharing with all of you my wishes, my tefillah. Takadosh Baruch Hu, that Nizkeh, uh, the grandparents, myself, and uh, my wife, Eda, as well as the other grandparents, and the children, Moshev and Hadash, should be Zohar, Lachnisar, the Torah, Luchupa, Masim Tovim, Bitosh Avram Avinu, Bizmano, Ubiito. And all Amisel should benefit, should enjoy, and should be Zohar in the schut of having another child, another Neshama added to Binyan Adeyad, the Binyan of Kaisel and Abodat Hashem. A word about uh, where we're up to, getting closer and closer to Rosh Hashanah. This Pasha, Pashat Kitavo, has the tochacha. Most of the pasha is tochacha, is implications, is curses, is, is a warning, a very graphic and terrifying warning to Amisar what will happen if they do not follow in the way of God. It's actually, I think, less severe in part than the tochacha in the end of Ayikon Pashat Ebachukotai. But one thing is very noticeable, and that is that there is no nechama, there's no consolation in the end. In Bechukotai, the Pasha ends with a promise that they will in fact do tshuva, and God will take them back, take us back to Eretz Yisrael, because he will remember Abraham Yitzhak Yaakov, and it ends okay. Kitavo ends, and you'll be destroyed. It ends on a note of despair. It's true that in next week's Pasha, in Nitzavim, there is Tshuva. Nitzavim Bayelach. Not as much and not as beautifully as Bukhakotai, but it appears. But in this week's Pasha, it doesn't appear at all. God says, if you don't listen to me, you will be punished and you will be destroyed and you will get uh, all sorts of terrible, terrible sufferings. And that's what's going to happen. And it goes on and on and on and repeats itself. It's a deliberate attempt by God to simply depress us, to destroy us mentally. God is humanist. God should be so so full of implications. And there's no attempt even to, to mitigate it. But I think, and remember also that you know the Pashiot were artificial. We could have read Nitzan Vayelach right away. It wouldn't be the same paragraph. It wouldn't be the same Pasha. But at least you could have read it the same Shabbat. And Chazal, no, Chazal said you read Yitzhah next week. This week you will only read the Torah. And I think, considering where we're going to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, I think that's important. 
I think one of the problems we have with tshuva is our complacency, our our shield, our armor of of uh, of self satisfaction, of optimism, if you wish. Okay, maybe I sinned. It'll be okay. Maybe God is angry. I'll daven. It'll be okay. I'll do tshuva. You know, it's not that hard to do. It'll be okay. And I think Pashat Kitavah is deliberately designed an attempt to shatter the facade, the defensive facade of optimism about ourselves that we that we have. We maintain our sanity, so to speak, by our ultimate belief that everything will be okay. And so God says to the Jews, if you sin, I'm going to punish you. Jews say, okay, we can make that. God says, no, you don't understand. I'm going to really punish you. Says, okay. God says, you know, there's going to be pestilence, war, destruction. And then he repeats it again because he sees you saying, I can handle that. You know, maybe it won't happen. And there's this graphic description and details of the sores on your body and terrible, terrible things that take place. And it's all there in such graphic detail and detailed details. I think because like God feels he has to, he has to shatter something. And by repeated blows, maybe, maybe our eyes will be opened. To what? If you don't feel the despair of this pasha, you're not going to do tshuva next week, or in two weeks from now, or three weeks from now. That's not tshuva. Saying, I'll be better, let's keep going. You're just trying to get over it. The Pasha is designed that you should realize how ultimately terrible, destructive sin is. You have to see the black abyss. You have to see the total destruction, the world turned upside down as it should be, when there is sin. You have to see it and you have to feel it. And in Kriyata Torah, Chodesh there's a week designed only for that. Just to paint it black and blacker and blacker and give you no hope of getting out of it. And only after you really feel that despair will come the hope next week. And Rosh Hashanah. And I said you made tshuva when you will work to build something on your own. If you realize how terribly destructive it is, you won't just say to God, forgive me, but you'll try to climb out and change it. And then in Yitz Hashem will be zocha for the forgiveness of Yom Kippur and iktiva v'chatima v'chol am Yisrael. And that's all that I have to say today. I'm passing over the microphone to Rav Benjamin Tavori, our Friday guest, discuss Rav Elia Lopian, famous mashkiach, whose your site falls in this week. This coming week on Sunday, Yutes Elul is the yard site of one of the greatest Mashgichim in the world of Lithuanian yeshivas, Rev. Elia Lopian. Rev. Elia was born in Lithuania in the early 1870s and passed away at a ripe old age on Yutes Elul in the year 1970. The main svarim that are extant from his work in this world is a set of svarim called Lev Eliyahu. In the first volume of Lev Eliyahu, there are a number of stories, stories, 
incidents of his life, Mitoldotav, the history of Rebel Yelopian. Art Scroll put out a book, Rev Eliyahu, about him. The basic details that are so well known of his life include the fact that when he was a little boy, approximately nine to ten years old, his parents decided, because of the economic situation, because of the political situation, this was approximately 1880-something, they decided to go to live in America, which was called at that time the Golden Medina, the place where people can make a living, where they can live in peace. According to the stories told in these books, Rev. Elia, at that age, at the age of nine or ten, refused to leave Europe. He sensed and was afraid that America is a place where the people who came, and apparently at that time, it was quite true, they not only abandoned their European culture, but they abandoned Yiddishkeit as well. The legends are that people used to come on, by boat to America and actually throw their tefillin into the sea, approaching Ellis Island, and saying that Judaism has no place in America. Rahman al-Itzlan. Rebellia, as a child, refused to go to America based on this understanding, and his father tried to encourage him very strongly to come to America and impose some economic sanctions as much as he could, and Rebellia apparently, as a child, resisted all temptation, stayed in Europe, and went to yeshivas in, in Europe. We know that he learned in Lomsh, he wandered around to different places, but he wound up eventually, and his big reputation began to grow when he moved to the city of Kelm, which had in it a yeshiva, which Rebellia took over eventually. It was known as the Talmud Torah of Kelm. To Americans of my age and background, the name Talmud Torah seems to be a school that you go to after school is over, and it's for children who want some smattering of knowledge of Judaism. But the Talmud Torah of Kelm was a world-renowned institution which was known as the as a Beit Musar par excellence. It was the type of Musar yeshiva where Musar was stressed. Of course, Torah was learned, but Musar was stressed, personal development, personal ethics, midos, were very strongly emphasized in the Talmud Torah of Kelm. For me, personally, this has a very strong connection because when my father was a young man, he went to the Kelmer Talmud Torah, learned in that, in that base medrash. Because of the lack of funding at that time, dormitory space was non-existent, and the people of the yeshiva, the young students of the yeshiva, had to find a place to live by one of the local residents. My father had the privilege of living in the house of Rebel Yelopin at that time. And this influence of Rebelia was felt very keenly by him all his life. My father kept up a connection with Rebelia, and I have a personal souvenir that at my bar mitzvah, my, fa- my Rebelia wrote me a letter from my bar mitzvah in which he mentioned 
that my father was also the leader of a group of students in Kelm, and he wrote to me and gave me a bracha that I should have as much hashpah on my Talmidim in the future as my father had on his Talmidim in Kelm. Eventually, rebellious parents moved from America to Eretz Israel, and Rebellia decided to follow them, and he came to Eretz Israel approximately 1950. Now, he was approaching the age of 80. We're not sure, I'm not sure exactly which year he was born. Some reports have it 1872, some 1874, 1876. But, Bechol he was approaching the age of 75, 80 when he came on Aliyah. And he decided that he didn't want to be involved in public life anymore. And he wanted to learn and work on self-development for the rest of his life. Occasionally, he was asked to speak in various shuls. And his speech and his strength of conviction of the world of Musar was so strong that Gedolim of that time refused to allow him to live in his in, in, internal sense of peace. It's somewhat like B'Kes Yaakov Leishe B'Shalva. Yaakov wanted to live in a world of peace and somehow the conditions and the times did not allow him to live the type of life that he wanted. And Revelio was sort of forced into becoming a Mashgiach despite his advanced age. And the main institution with which he was connected became known as the Yeshiva of Kfar Hasidim, where Rebellia was the Mashgiach and gave sichot and personal advice and personal dealings with Tamidim until the very end. He used to wake up the students every morning. And you just can imagine this old gentleman already past the age of 80, perhaps perhaps the age of 90, coming into the dormitories, wearing his talis and tefillin, and telling the fellows to wake up, it's time to daven. They say that at the end of his life, Rebellia appeared very, very tired. And someone asked him, why you seem more tired than you do, the, than you did for many years. And Rebellia said, as he realizes that he's approaching the age of 90, a person should prepare for the future. And he's afraid of the Bechina, of the test that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to give him on that day. And he assumed that, how will HaKadosh Baruch Hu ask questions? How will he begin the inter- interrogation to see how a person lived his life? And he said he assumed that he'll start with the Shulchan Aruch, he'll begin, he'll begin with the Simen Aleph of the Shulchan Aruch. And he'll continue, did you do this properly? Did you avoid this? Did you do this correctly? All the questions of the dinim of the Shulchan Aruch. Rebellion said nobody in the world will be able to pass this test perfectly. Everybody will make some sort of mistakes. But if you make a mistake in the 14th question, the 20th question, uh, you can somehow come to grips with it. But to be caught in the very beginning, he said to, to answer the first questions wrong. That would be, he felt disastrous. The first simon of the Shulchan Aruch says, Yisgaber ka'ari la'avodah sabore. 
A person should wake up in the morning like a lion to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So he said, I have to answer that question correctly. So therefore, in the end of his life, near the end of his life, he decided to wake up even earlier than he used to. Get up way before davening in order to prepare for Avodas Hashem. In order to prepare for the final examination, as it were. His life and Sichot, his, the Musis Shmuzim that he gave in Yeshiva so affected his Talmidim that legends are rife about the influence of his student, of him on his students. They tell a story that one day, in those days when the world was quite different from today, Rebellia made us a, gave a Sicha about the importance of appearing to be part of a select group, to be part of B'nai Torah. And he said, therefore, the idea of wearing tzitzes outside your trousers, to have your tzitzes on display, is an extremely important idea. Of course, we know the Mishnah Bura's statement of how important it is to wear tzitzes. Nevertheless, the Svarti tradition is that tzitzes should not be worn out. At that time, it seems that very few people wore their tzitzes in a way that they could be seen. But they say the moment that Reb Elias said this in yeshiva, immediately, without hesitation, the entire yeshiva automatically took out their tzitzes and began their wearing the tzitzes out. His influence was really, really strong on Talmidim forever and ever. I'd like to recount a short sicha that my father used to quote very often in the name of Rebellia, which is very appropriate for this week as we approach the Shabbat, where Motzei Shabbat we will say slichot, and we begin the days of preparing for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, the Yamim Noraim. Rebellia quoted the Gemari in Yuma Dafpezayim. The Gemari tells a story about a certain, certain butcher who was insulted, who insulted a great Tamit Chacham, Rav. And he tried to arrange, Rav tried to arrange for the butcher to meet him in order for the butcher to ask Mechila, in order to somehow make up with the with this person. But the person didn't come. So Rav said, I'm going to go to him. Ravuna met Rav and said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to try to appease so-and-so. He said, uh-oh, you're going and somebody, you're, he'll, he'll be killed. He went and the butcher was working. Apparently was Ervian Kipper. People were being very involved with Kaparos. He raised his head and he looked at Rav and he said, Zil let limilta badach. Leave. I have nothing to do with you. The Gemara continues that the moment he was working with a knife and the, apparently the knife slipped and the butcher was killed. Rebellia used to say in that haunting nigin, which was famous of the Musa Yeshivas, a whole year we 
somehow insult the Kaddish Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tries to meet us on the streets as the Shira Shirim describes so vividly. Bikashti Eshavanafshi, Bikashti Vilomatsasi, I look, HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks, HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes looking and somehow we don't understand the lesson. But yet, the times between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes down to our world. Dirshu Hashem b'imatzal kra'u b'yasal karav, the Gemara explains the Pasuk in Yeshayahu to mean that there's a time when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is closer to us. Those are the days between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur when, as it were, Kivayachal HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes down from the heavenly spheres, Lemata Asarat Fachim, he goes into our world. And he asks us for Mechila. He asks us that we should ask him for Mechila. Can we say to him, Zil Can we say to him, go away from us? We have nothing to do with you. The fear that rebellion instilled by saying those words, can we Chas v'shalom, could we say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu Zil Eslon Milsa Ba'adoch? So affected the people that this were, there was a palpable feeling of tshuva felt in the air when he said it. Later on I found that this idea is found in the, very similarly in the Alshech on our parsha. The Torah says, That in the parasha of Moshuach Nulchama, in the parasha of of Nikiyos Hamachane, in parashas Kitetzei, the parasha which we just read last week, the parasha says the Torah says that you have to be careful in a machanetzvai, in a military encampment, to have a clean and hygienic camp. Then the Torah says, Ki Hashem Elokecha mitalech b'kerev machanecha. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as it were, is accompanying you in the midst of your camp. La'atzilcha v'lateta yvecha lefanecha. In order to save you and to deliver you from your enemies. The next passage in the Torah seems to have nothing to do with this parsha. The Torah says, Lo taskir eved al Adonav, which means if a slave runs away, from its master, and tries to find harbor in your house, you should not give him back to the owner. Let him stay there. Now we know in Sefer Dvarim that juxtaposition of Psukim is an extremely important idea, and as much as we can, we try to understand the connection between two, two parshios that are connected. The Alshech HaKadosh said, Lo taskir evedal Adonav if a servant runs away from its master, for the betterment of the servant, nevertheless, you should not give the servant back, but give him a place, a haven in your home. But says the al what would happen if the situation were reversed? Not the Eved ran away from the Adon, but the Adon ran away. The Adon, the master, left his habitat in order to dwell with the Eved. But not because the Adon is seeking a, 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 a miklat, a refuge. Because the 
Adon is trying to do a favor for the for the Evet. Wouldn't there be a Kalvachomer? Wouldn't it be an Afordiari argument that you should not give the Adon back? You should not make the Adon leave? You should have the Adon have a, a decent place in your house? So the, the Torah tells us at the time of war, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Adon, as it were, leaves his house, as it were, Kivayachal, and he goes to your tent, to your camp, in order to protect you. Make sure that you create the conditions in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu can remain in that camp. Make sure that there's a hygienic and clean place where HaKadosh Baruch Hu ke'ilu, as it were, could HaKadosh Baruch Hu could feel comfortable. And then the Torah, of course, says those words, Ki Hashem elokecha mitaleich b'kerev machanecha, because God has come to your camp. La'atzilcha v'latetoivecha lefanecha, in order to save you, in order to deliver your enemies into your hands. V'lo yirevichayr v'atavavishav mechreacha. HaKadosh Baruch Hu should not see something that is so repugnant that he'll go away. We cannot tell HaKadosh Baruch Hu, zilet l'amilta b'adach, we have nothing to do with you. These words which came out, Originally, I heard the idea from Rebel Yelopian, and then I found in the Asher HaKadosh, remind us that in this time, as we begin preparing for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we should allow HaKadosh Baruch Hu in our midst, for our purposes, welcome him and try to live a life where it would be comfortable for us to be in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You have been listening to Rabbi Yamin Tavori discussing Rabbi Eli Lopian, and you've been listening to KMTT Kimitzion Tetzay Torah, the Arab Shabbat program for Shabbat Parshat Ki Tavor. And that's it for our broadcasts for this week. We'll be back next week with our regular programming. And this is Ezra Beck wishing you Shabbat Shalom. We've been broadcasting from Alon Shvut in Eretz Israel, Yeshivat Haritzion, KMTT. כי מציון תצאי תורה ודבר השם ירושלים. כל טוב.